Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 359. Continuing with our discovering uh, upholstering styles and techniques and decoration. So um, this episode, we're going to continue into the 18th century and uh, discover what was popular, why it was, and the materials used and some techniques as they upgraded um, to move to the more opulent period of the Victorian in the 19th century. So uh, let's get a move on. The 18th century upholstery techniques. During the 18th century, chair design was, I believe, unsurpassed superb line and proportion combined with upholstery expertise to provide comfortable and elegant repose which accorded well with a new degree of attention to style and decoration in interiors generally. All the components of the present-day traditional upholstery were gradually assembled. Good quality workmanship, refining techniques, and producing superb designs that were generous but not extravagant. Form and function became truly united and integrated. Few seats have survived from the 17th century, but one is more likely to be able to observe restoration of 18th century pieces at first hand, and some readers may actually carry it out as well. However, many pieces have been abused by later upholsters. On sofas, for example, the straight slope of rounded top arms onto the sweeping curve of the back rail has been coarsened with thick, overstuffed traditional upholstery. The backs and arms of original sofas that I have examined, on the other hand, were not stitched. The tops of the arms were padded sparingly, enough just for comfort, but not so much as to thicken the line. The inside arm stuffing was generous and comfortable, but the bulbous, but not so bulbous, and the inside back was stuffed in the same manner. A similarly restrained approach is evident in early seating chairs. Seats on curved sofas were edge-rolled or straight-edged, as on armchairs. I've noticed this straight frames on good late 18th century country pieces. By this I mean most furniture rather other than the grand houses often have edge roll seats with a gently curved front edge rather than the more fashionable straight edge. This is because it is probable that fashion and certainly the methods took longer to become common practice in the provenances. So personally, I prefer this kind of curve edge seat to a straight edge unless it is up to be piped, tufted, or close nail finished. Two sets of armchairs that I've worked on demonstrate classic 18th century upholstery techniques in the service of a particular style. The two are, in fact, parallel English interpretations of the French easy chair or fatoya. The classic French chair, developed in the second half of the 17th century, had open arms, a stuffed back, and a huge down cushions often reaching the height of the chair arms. Its curving lines 
capacious and abundant stuffing were being copied in other countries by the mid-18th century. But its potent blend of elegance and largesse was never quite achieved anywhere else. On the English translations with curved frames, the upholstery was flatter and, as the straight line developed with square legs, the frame and upholstery accentuated this look. Each of the twin English developments of the Vittoria exemplifies a distinct and characteristic look. One style is curvilinear, while the other has straight lines and is cleanly piped and bordered. In both, the underlying structure achieves its effect with masterly simplicity. Let's talk about the curved line of 18th century upholstered pieces. In this type of chair, the upholstery flows into the curves of the frame in a typical fashion of what the English called the French chair style. The seat is created with the stuffed edge roll and central stuffing, as I've already described, and has linen lining. The curve of the firm, gently rounded edge harmonizes perfectly with the lines of the frame. Through the upholstery, or though the upholstery is considerably flatter than that of the Fatoya, which was its original inspiration. The inside back has a single web from center to the bottom and one from side to side, sackcloth and stuffing to handle bridal ties. The linen lining is tacked over and the stuffing is shaped to form a curved, softly compacted edge by means of a single row of twine blind running stitches through the linen. One row of stitches to draw the stuffing to the edge was also used on single chairs with curved back frames. The arms are stuffed and stitched in the same fashion. It is very important to note and, if necessary, recreate the, the correct arm shape, shape. Often the originals are replaced with aggressively top-stitched and stuffed arm pads that are quite Square, squarish and harsh. The pad should curve deliciously like a baby's arm, a chubby swell gliding into the wrist. These chairs are commonly finished with two characteristic 18th century decorative touches, tufting and brass nailing. Let's talk about the straight line of 18th century upholstery. Many mid-18th century armchairs of the Chippendale style or type are based on straight lines and a four-square outline, which called for a correspondingly square-profiled upholstery, usually exemplified by piping, a method I have seen on a number of contemporary seats and accordingly have used to restore many others, which involves constructing flat, firm walls to support the clean lines that we want to look for. For accurate recreation of the technique, the process involves webbing an inside back with a single central web from top to bottom and from side to side, and applying sackcloth. Borders of linen are tacked down to the sides of the top and side rails. For a slight broadening below the, the arm joints, Allowance is made for the swell of the lumbar region and overall for seams. The back is stuffed to bridal ties with full 
firm quantities at the bordered edges. Rows of blind running stitches are worked in twine through the linen and horsehair to build a firm straight edge. Much practice is needed to achieve firm, flat walls. The secret is to keep stitch tension uniform throughout. A linen cover or lid is tacked to the back base rail and pinned, with raw edges inward to the borders and then joined with any tiny overstitches. So this beautifully crafted and deceptively simple edge must always have been, as it is now, a very lengthy process. Soon, edge stitching methods were to be developed to make the all-in-one stitched edge. The arms of the straight line chair were worked as described above for the curved line of the chair. The seat was sometimes bordered and worked in the same way on the inside back. But another method was often employed, and it was this one that I use if working from scratch. The seat is webbed and covered with sackcloth as usual. Next, an edge roll is worked on the sides and the front and stuffed to the required height. Linen borders then are then tacked to the rails and the seat is stuffed and stitched as on the inside back. The running stitches pass through the edges roll, the first row being fastened to the frame with tacks, which gives a tremendous amount of support and strength. Along with the firmly stitched border seam, the squares and shapes, the combination of edge roll and border stitching is stronger than the method without any edge roll, but I have seen them both in their original form. The top cover on both back and seat is piped and bordered. Outside backs were usually covered in a plain harmonizing fabric, such as wool, which was less expensive than the silks, velvets, and damasks. If true authenticity is sought, then when reupholstering, the top fabric cover should be cut to the original size, width, and seamed. It is quite remarkable how much difference this apparently trivial detail will make to the finished chair. Single chairs with square backs were upholstered in the same way as armchairs. The simpler variety, however, was not bordered and stitched on the inside back and the gentle stuffing swell curved into the flat, clean edges of the frame. American straight rail chairs of the period, like English armchairs, were strictly square in their upholstery, but the techniques were used quite differently. A superb method of over-the-rail upholstery involved strips of webbing instead of linen borders and a different type of stitched edge roll, known as the French roll, and tightly stitched to make a French edge. The linen was tightly whip-stitched along the top of the webbing of the French edge, forming a crisp right angle. So let's talk about the all-in-one stitched edge when referring to 18th century upholstery. So as the 18th century drew to a close, upholsters were developing the final stages of traditional upholstery methods. As they were taught today, the bordered and stitched edge roll for square shapes requiring time-consuming stitching was eliminated by a method very similar to that practiced now. In this new method, a single piece of linen, later to be replaced by scrim, 
is positioned over the stuffing and tacked to the rails. The edge stitches along the front inside rails pass through the front of the linen. Though the stuffing um, out through the top of the linen and back down to the front again forms a looped stitch on the top of the linen, which will be the top of the seat pad. The earlier running stitch has become a back stitch, which is much stronger, and which later progresses to become the locked blind stitch as we use today. So each successive row of stitching comprises the side and top linen and brings its stuffing content nearer to the top of the wall. A well is formed on the top of the seat, which is top stuffed into brittle ties as it is today, with a linen lining overall. The difference between this and today's method is the fact that we worked we would work blind stitches that do not pass through the top of the scrim for the first row of rows, according to the height and shape of the edge I am building. Let's talk about decorative finishes of the 18th century. Tufting, brass nailing, braid, and tape had become popular in England by 1750, but took another 20 years or so to become fashionable in France, Recent evidence suggests that in America, tufting, where the term today denotes buttoning, was being used in the latter part of the century. Tufting developed, was developed as a method of regulating and retaining the stuffing in mattresses and squibs. Tufting was initially concealed beneath the top cover, used to serve the same purpose on fixed upholstery. It became a decorative feature that is still used today. Tufts were short strands of silk or linen threads tied in the center and looped through the top cover and the stuffing on long twines. They were often tied off beneath the sackcloth at the back of the chair back and arms and underneath the seat, compressing the upholstery where they were pulled tight. The tufts themselves resemble little brush heads. The twine is tied off like a comfortable tension forming restrained indentations. Too tightly fastened, it tends to make cross-tensions cross that flatten the upholstery and disturb the eye, and also to distort the lines of the seams. The positioning of tufting should be sympathetic to the shape of the chair. Curved chairs usually have a curved top row of tufts on the inside back. The middle straight row is usually a little above the arm joints. If level with the arms, the chair is visually widened and its proportions distorted by the tufting. Where an old chair retains its original sackcloth, any tufting patterns can be seen from the tie holes. Even the remnants of the ties themselves have disappeared. New tufting can be carried out according to the original design. Brass nailing of the 18th century. Generally larger than those in use today, Brass nails were higher domed and had square shanks. They were positioned close together with just a tiny breathing space. Patterns varied and be could be quite complicated. The double rows and curves in very grand rooms, both the top cover and the nailing patterns on the furniture would often compete with those on the walls. Careful study of the original chair rails will enable the restorer to follow the original nailing pattern. 
the chair may well have been close nailed more than once. So look for a series of wider spaced square holes, usually sighted slightly higher up the rail to accommodate the larger diameter heads. Rails may, of course, need repair before they can be nailed again in the same pattern. So this is Greg Perry, the Historic Preservation is signing out with 18th century developmental upholstery. Thanks for listening.